This was my sermon taken from September 27th, 2020. You ever have one of those days where you think you're saying one thing, but you mean another? Here I talk about Soren Kierkegaard when I mean Jorgen Moltmann. Hope you enjoy my sermon. God bless. Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 21 in the New Testament section. Jesus answered them. Whoops. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd. For all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus in a very rabbinical way. We do not know. <laughs> and he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? Man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later changed his mind and away he went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. So which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. John came to you in the way of righteousness. And you did not believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Gotta love it when you have your notes here, but you have them all scattered about from last week and this week. You know, in this gospel lesson, John responds, Jesus responds to a question about the origin of his authority and the ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus, being confronted yet again with the question of authority, answers the question in a very rabbinical way with the question. While the religious leaders are stumped about how to respond, Jesus launches into a story about a father who sends a son to the vineyard. No, he says, but he eventually goes to the vineyard, right? 
Those same words create a reversal when addressed to a second son. Yes, he says, but never goes. Jesus cuts to the chase and suggests that while they did not repent at the proclamation of John the Baptist, prostitutes, tax collectors who did repent will end up going to the kingdom of heaven ahead of them. I love this passage of scripture, but I have a warning to give you and those people that are online. It gives me a sense of moment to have soapboxes, and so I have to be careful today. Because in this passage of scripture, it's about the actions more than it is the words of our faith. There's a gentleman by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, who was a theologian of the 19th and 20th century, and I say 19th, but he's 20th century. And he's brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. And, he, and he, a lot of the things that you all understand of faith came from dialogues of Soren Kierkegaard. It's kind of fascinating about his life. He was in Germany, oh, at the beginning of the 20th century in such a way that, oh, small things that happened with Christians led to really bad things led by fascists in the Nazi party. Even in the midst of that, Soren Kierkegaard tells this parable about geese that I want to share with you. He says, a flock of geese would gather every Sunday morning in the barnyard. The gander would preach to them about the glorious destiny of geese. He would tell them about how their creator wanted them to use their wings to fly away to distant lakes and streams. And when he mentioned the creator, the geese that were gathered in the barnyard would curtsy and bow. He would preach the same thing every Sunday, and then the meeting would break up, and then they would all waddle home. But that was as far as they ever got, you see. They throve, and they grew fat, plump, and delicious, and at Christmas, well, they were eaten, and that was as far as they got. Behind the webbed feet and the tubular necks of Kierkegaard's caricature of the church. Understandably, Kierkegaard grew up in a country in which just about everyone was Christian. He noticed how he and most everyone else treated their life of faith. Their faith was carefully tucked away from the grist and grit of life. Somehow, what happened on Sunday morning, despite all of the liturgical richness and the, the worshipful order, it never really impacted their life in the 9 to 5 or the 24 to 7 of daily life. You see, even in the midst of World War II and prior to it, the church stayed silent as Hitler came into power. The church did not argue with the fact that Hitler was killing people by the thousands, by the millions. And the church stayed quiet. You know, yesterday we had our regional assembly and I sat amongst my friends and colleagues. And it was at that moment I recalled Kierkegaard's parable. You know... There were times 
in the midst of being online with one another that we gaggled like a flock of geese and cackled in the barnyard. It was hard as a clergy person to hear the word of God in the midst of the technology. Now, let's be honest, it was the cackling and was highly expressed and high-pitched and excited when we discussed the creation of a new church in Oklahoma City called Simplicity and cheered as we started this church together as the Christian churches in Oklahoma reminded ourselves that we are not dead. The church is not closed. We've never been closed. And we discussed the beauty of our new officers and this new moment. And according to the law of supply and demand, the truth is barnyards are shrinking while the leaders of the church are increasing. Now, I have to be honest, I've been in Kierkegaard's parable more times than I want to admit. I grew up with this disconnect between the glorious words about the Creator on Sunday and then getting all mucked up in the creation during the week. It's so easy for us to be stuck in the minutiae of church. It's always amazing to me how this works, you see. Everybody has their own opinion as to what's supposed to happen in churches. In the early service, I, I told a story about my dad. And for the sake of transparency and the fact that I'm online, I'm going to change the names to save the innocent. But there was a time that church had a struggle with what you were supposed to do and how the minister was supposed to be. There was this minister that ended up serving a small church in the middle of nowhere, going because they had a love of God and Jesus, knowing that God always provides, realizing that you weren't going to be rich being a preacher, but the church would take care of them. And the church had high expectations of this preacher, they decided that it was really important for this church out in the middle of nowhere that the preacher must wear a brand new three-piece suit and have shiny shoes. And his hair had to be perfectly coiffed. And he could not have a beard or mustache unless it was perfectly trimmed and only an inch wide. The minister would go up faithfully every Sunday in the only three-piece suit that he owned being hundreds of miles away from a dry cleaner, that suit got a lot of wear and tear. And finally, someone decided out of their brilliant, loving hearts, as we would say in the South, bless their heart. As the preacher was standing at the back of the sanctuary, one person decided to say, you know, preacher, you need to get your suit washed. Have you ever tried to get your suit dry cleaned in a community that doesn't have a dry cleaner? <laughs> like Harry? You have to take it to a shop. Pray to God that all the pieces that you put in this bag get from Perry to the place to be cleaned and then brought back. 
you have to pay for the dry cleaning, and then you have to pay for the transportation of said item. Because that's how you do things in a small town. We're not a million miles from nowhere, but in this story, he was. But he didn't have enough money to get the transportation costs taken care of. So he takes a little bit of extra care, and he goes and mows some lawns of the church members because he needed to make some extra money. And this is the only way he knew how, because he did not want to disappoint this person. So he mows enough lawns, he gets his suit brought back, his suit is pressed, cleaned and everything, and she says to him, your suit looks great, I wish you would have cut your hair. You see, there's sometimes our words sting more than your actions. And let's be honest about this. In reality, in this story, Jesus is mad. Don't let this story just walk past you as if nothing has happened. In this story, Jesus is upset. His cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered several chapters prior, and he has not yet had an opportunity to address the crowd that ultimately brought his demise. And he's standing in front of them as he's talking to you as a gander in front of the geese inside of a barnyard in a place of safety and security with all of his loving flock. And this jerk comes up to him and says, you know, uh, who gave you the authority to speak here? Hmm. Who gave me the authority to speak here? I have a question for you then. Was John the Baptist's baptism heavenly? Was it divine or was it of human origin? Knowing full well that they would answer in the ways that made themselves feel good, right? They gave you the perfect getaway answer and they said, we do not know. It's more like that phrase that we tell our friends and our kids and, you know, well, I'll get back to you on that one. Hopefully someday being able to have another dialogue about why that question was so inappropriate. Hmm. Jesus puts it like this. There were two sons. The father asked the first son to go to work for him and says, let's just say because we live out here, we'll say the wheat field. No way am I going out there, the son says. Are you kidding? It's supposed to reach the high 90s today. No way. But the son, after thinking about it for a while, actually does go work for his father and turns his no into a yes. In the meantime, the father goes to the second son. Same request. And this one, well, of course, he says, this he says to himself, this one, well, he'll help me. He takes after me. Hey, son, will you go work in the field for me today? Why, sure thing, Dad. I always enjoy helping you out. I'm, I'll do that just about as soon as I'm done watching this video. I'll be out there plucking weeds. Hey, thanks, son. I knew I could depend on you. However, the son had only finished the first of the new Star Wars trilogy. And he, he turns on the next video, and, and it doesn't end until the end of the day. And he keeps watching that show. Now, which one did the right thing, Jesus asks. 
Or to borrow from Kierkegaard's parable, which son had the webbed feet in this story? Did the disrespectful son who changed his mind and went into the field do the right thing? Or did the couch potato son do the right thing, forming the right, well, for lack of a better phrase, liturgical rubric for the yes to do the right thing? You see, church, we have a tendency to say yes and then do nothing. Like the church in World War II in Germany and all throughout Europe, the church said, yes, we believe in Jesus Christ and turned a blind eye to the mass genocide that took place in front of their very eyes. Here we find ourselves in the midst of this where the story isn't about Jesus being the gander. It's about his followers being the gander. In essence, you become the one telling the stories in your own barnyards. How do we do this, you say? How do we tell this story in such a way that uh, brings people to us? And I, I don't have the correct answer. Because honestly, there's a, a lot of times, not here of course, because our church is perfect. But in a lot of times, as we talk about faith, I feel like sometimes... Churches have a tendency to hear the story, take everything that you can give them, listen to the beautifully, liturgically phrased, eruditely fashioned statements of faith, and then we just leave and waddle away to our own nests. Never to spread that story at the next lake or stream. And I think there's a lot of us a lot of us that say, no, I don't want to do this. You can't make me do this. But then you feel that warming inside your heart that says, I have to do this. I must do this in the name of God, Jesus Christ. I have to stand up for what's right. And my actions speak louder than my words. In our world, everybody's words are being heard. They're all mean. <laughs> Which son do we identify in this story with when you're asked to help your community of faith? When are you called upon to put muscle to your faith? And I would argue every single day that you draw breath, you've been given an opportunity to be the gender. The one that has the ability to speak the words of love, peace, compassion. Those are divine things, you see, not human ones. The point of us talking about things that have taken place in history are not just to re reminisce and commiserate with our down, uh, our moments of failure. They're there to help us learn so that we don't make the same mistakes, that we teach others not to make the same mistakes. You see, right now, you are all safe in your barnyard, whether you're um, at home or here in our own sanctuary. And it is beautiful, and it is safe, and it is absolutely a sanctuary from the outside world. But you see, your mission doesn't stop here. 
God sends you out in the name of Jesus to preach, teach, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to do so with the full grace and comfort of God's love. So, your challenge, our daily challenge, is to recognize if it's good for the goose, right? It might be good for the gander. You have the opportunity to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in such a way that allows people to thrive, to live, to breathe breath of God. Let us go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.